0: Good morning everybody. Happy Friday. My name is Connor Collins. I am a registered massage therapist and sports injury therapist practicing 45 minutes outside of Toronto, Ontario in Canada and welcome to the CONCAST, a podcast where we discuss all things health, wellness and injuries in an attempt to better understand the human body. This is episode number 61 where I had the pleasure of interviewing Mark Cormier Mark is a strength coach and college-level instructor, as well as the owner of CSC Golf Fitness. We had a great conversation around performance, recovery, and maximizing your ability to become the best golfer that you want to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. We've got another interview for you today, and I'm really excited about this one because I think there's going to be a lot of value uh, here for not only the topic or those people that are interested in the topic that we're going to be talking about, but for people in general, Uh, I think there'll be a lot of carryover in some of the things that we're talking about to other sports. So today's guest is a coach in and of itself, and one of the things that I find really great about this individual is they are in uh, in the trenches. So some some people that you you talk to these days with respect to coaching, or or maybe doing some online coaching, but this individual is coaching people at the grassroots level. He's got coaches himself. He's invested in the sport that he most often talks about and deals with, and then has his own practice of keeping in shape and, and training to become better. So I think, uh, we're going to have a lot of value in our conversation today. There's going to be a lot of great tips about performance in general, as well as the sport, which we're going to be talking about, which is golf. So, uh, without further ado, Mark Cormier, welcome to the Comcast. Thanks a lot for being here.
1: Thanks Connor. I'm really looking forward to this. It's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: So. Your area of expertise is uh, golf and performance and I'd love to know and the audience I'm sure would be interested in how you got into the field that you're in now and a little bit about your journey as to how you've become kind of a a strength coach and then more specifically how you've gotten into the sport of golf.
1: Yeah of course so um, I played high level basketball my whole life. I I was very competitive in basketball. I thought I was going to go to university and play basketball and that's going to be that was going to be what I was going to do. And I uh, almost completely ruptured my Achilles when I was about 18. And uh, that kind of killed that dream for a little bit. But what it did was make me find the gym. Uh, And when I found the gym, I started to work out with a good buddy of mine who was actually a power lifter. And he actually broke some Canadian records, which was cool to kind of see somebody at that kind of level. And him actually show me how to do the major movements like deadlift squat and bench press. And I really fell in love with the gym. And when I fell in love with the gym, I knew that I enjoyed being in that kind of atmosphere and and being around people. And so I went to school for it. So I went in, uh, I took the health wellness and fitness program at Mohawk college. I took that with a co-op term. They don't have that in that program anymore, but so I worked uh, when I was in that program at Mohawk college. So I fortunately got a chance to set up a gym at McMaster innovation park, which is in Hamilton. It's a business. It's a complex that houses a bunch of businesses. And I started the gym in there and I, I brought it up from the ground up. So I led fitness classes. I did personal training. I um, did a ton of like workshops and um, stuff for all the uh, different employees that worked out of that business or out of that building. And then I also helped start a company called Core Fusion Athlete Development and Conditioning. And this company was something that a faculty member from Health Wellness and Fitness had started. And then I basically managed it and, and was the head conditioning coach of it for about six years. And we trained thousands of athletes from Brantford, Hamilton to the Toronto area in various sports, including hockey, baseball, football, basketball. I trained somebody that's hopefully going to be in the Olympics this year um, when she was a teenager. Any kind of sport you could imagine. I mean, obviously in Canada, hockey's huge. We, I mean, that would probably be the biggest sport. But I did that for about six years, as well as I work in the program now that I was talking about in health, wellness and fitness. So I'm actually a technologist in that program. And what that is, is I basically assist the faculty in the classroom, as well as I manage all the field placements for uh, my program area. So I manage all the partnerships and I deal with all the um, different people in our industry from around this area and I place students there. But through all of this, all my experiences with athletes, with training, with being in the classroom, with learning it in and out in terms of the education side of it, I was struggling with what I was going to do with my own personal business and what I was going to do. Cause I've always still trained people on the side, even though, um, when I stopped doing the stuff with core fusion and I'm obsessed with golf, I'm absolutely addicted to golf and I, I want to golf whenever I can. So I decided to kind of switch my focus from, let's say hockey and basketball, and really just I'm only going to do stuff with golfers. And I went and got certified with the Titleist Performance Institute, TPI, which is very, very well known in the golfing world. And so I got the level one certification in 2015. And then in 2017, I got the level two certification in fitness because that would be my stream. They have three different streams. So if you were like a medical practitioner, like a massage therapist or um, a physiotherapist or something along those lines, there's a stream for medical there's also a stream for fitness, and there's a stream for uh, golf coaches. So I would be down, the, obviously, the fitness stream, and I started to do that, and and then I started to get some clients just because of of the people I know in in fitness, and they knew that I I mean, was good at what I did with fitness, so I should be able to kind of transfer that into golf. And from there, it's just kind of slowly progressed. And uh, a couple years ago. I moved uh, and I put a gym in my house. And when I put a gym in my house, I really started to to think I could make something out of this. And I and I started to pump it. So I created uh, some social media pages. I created a website, and and now I train I train golfers from amateurs that are fifteen or thirteen year old juniors to I train some people um, that are pros in the Toronto Players Tour, uh, people that are trying to go to the Corn Ferry Tour. And I think eventually the goal is to help some of these juniors to kind of make it to the PJ tour. And I think that would be kind of, that would be a good icing on the cake for what I see uh, myself doing in the golf golfing world.
0: I think that's amazing. And one of the things that you touched on there and well, two things really was this idea that you had mentioned that you train somebody that went or is hopefully going to go to the Olympics. And then one of your primary goals being to train somebody eventually to become a pro and I think for a lot of us, because uh, one of the questions that I get, and I'm, I'm sure that you probably get a lot, is how do you get or land your professional athletes? And my response is professional athletes are regular people before they're professional <laughs> athletes, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and this idea that everybody is a 13 or a 15-year-old, and you for, for a lot of the people that I treat that are pros now, I started treating them when they were 13 or 14 or 15. So it sounds like your your business model is kind of grown organically just by virtue of you loving the sport of golf. And I think one of the things that you bring to, because I was looking at some of your social media pages, some of your testimonials, and one of the things that people were saying, a lot of what you do from a coaching perspective is simple, quote unquote, it's easy to follow. But you also bring this element that I would not bring to golf because number one, I I can talk injury and biomechanics and I can give a golfer what I think they need, but you are a golfer and you're a good golfer. So you bring this element of, you can talk about a golf swing from a coaching perspective, but then you can also talk about it from an injury perspective and a performance perspective, which I think is a unique skill. Now, when we talk about performance in golf, we've started to see a really big surge in performance in golf. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that's come from? Do you think that Tiger Woods was the person that brought performance more into golf? Because back in the day, it was just like you were a good golfer. You were not necessarily a good athlete. And now you have to be both. And while we've seen advancements in sports medicine in all sports, it seems like golf went from zero to 100 do you think Tiger is responsible for that? What do you think are some of the factors that are responsible for that?
1: Well, 100% Tiger Woods is the driving force behind that. So TPI was actually created um, a couple of years after Tiger Woods got big, like a couple of years after he started winning all those tournaments and people started recognizing that, Hey, he doesn't just play golf. He also goes to the gym. He's also training his body. And maybe that's why he's hitting it 30, 40 yards past everyone. And this is back in the late nineties, early two thousands. But now, we're looking at the product of him. Now we're 20 years down the road, and all these kids watched him and were like, I'm not going to go play football. I'm going to play golf because I want to be like Tiger Woods. Michael Jordan had a great quote that said, If I grew up and watched Tiger Woods, I probably wouldn't even have played basketball. I would have went right into golf and wow. played golf. Right. So he influenced, and people like Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, these guys that are just massive people like they're 6'4, 230. That I mean, can have hands better than anybody you know, but also can generate the power that none of these guys 20, 30 years ago could even come close to, right? I mean, not only is their bodies moving better, their club speeds are better, their recovery is better. It's all coming into play, right? Um, But Tiger was definitely the driving force behind that. But now you got people like Bryson DeChambeau who are pushing the envelope even farther. So what he has done is he has kind of added 30, 40 pounds of mass to his body and kept his speed up. So we all know force equals mass times acceleration. What he's done is increased mass and kept acceleration at the same rate. And he's hitting the ball even farther. The other thing that people are starting to do that they didn't back in the day is tinker with equipment. So he's actually um, swinging a driver that the long drivers use, basically the same length of the shaft. So obviously we have more length. We're going to be able to create and generate more speed um, and we're going to be able to hit the ball farther. So I think obviously a combination of Tiger Woods, a combination of technology, a combination of people just understanding their bodies, strength and conditioning has progressed so far, so much in the last 20 years as well. All of that in combination is what's bringing these new age of golfers that are just, they're beasts. I mean, a lot of these guys could play in the NFL, right. Or they could play at least like major league baseball or something. Maybe they're not the size of of an NFL player, but they're as athletic as any sport for sure.
0: So where do you think is the, the balance of that because you touched on it a little bit and I think Mm -hmm. you're right that, Golf is such a technical sport. I mean, all sports are technical to some degree, but when we talk about the golf swing, it's so technical. But then there's the performance element of it and the ability to generate things like strength, power, endurance through a swing or endurance over the course of a round. Where do you think, and I'm sure we'll get more specific as we go through the the podcast, where do you think is or is there... Uh, A few sort of sentences or brief overview that you can give on the the balance of technicality of a golf swing, but not necessarily sacrificing it through increasing performance, things like strength and power and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean... If you can't hit the uh, hit the ball off the center of the face, it doesn't matter how much strength and power you have. So as a junior, they're really trying to make sure that you can kind of uh, understand how to hit the ball uh, in the center of the club face. So that would be more the technical part of it, right? Obviously club path, swing direction, things like that come into play as well. But the other part of it is all these juniors now they're telling them to just swing out of their shoes. So before it was a little more technical and now they're saying that we can bring in that technicality later If we need to build athletes earlier. And that has been a big shift as well. Whereas if you look at someone like Tiger Woods, he was playing golf at two years old and that's all he was doing. Now we have athletes that have been playing multi-sports multi throughout their whole entire life. And then when they get to the kind of the teenage years, then they focus on, a, on, on golf or whatever their sport is. Through that, they start to create kind of these great patterns with their swing, but also start to generate this um, strength and power. In terms of like, when you get into a higher level, I mean, you've already kind of got the technical stuff down. That's when you can really start to hit the weights and really start to, I mean, do all this strength and conditioning to kind of separate you and make you on the next level. Like I have like a 15 year old kid who he's been working with me for a couple of years now. And I mean, when he started with me, he could barely do a squat and now he's doing goblet squats with 70 pound weights. Perfect. Right. And it's just like, these people are getting that information earlier in life. I didn't start lifting weights. I was 18 or 19 years old, really lifting weights right? So they're getting that stuff earlier. And it's going to help them do those things like be more strength or have more strength, be more powerful. And with the coaching earlier in their life as well, they can actually hit the center of the face. And then that's how they combine both of those things to be this, I mean, amazing golfer that you're seeing on TV all the time at such young ages. Like Colin Morikawa is 18, 19 years old, and he's already won a major championship. It's crazy.
0: (laughs) So they're focusing more on trying to develop I guess club speed earlier and trying to just swing through it and then looking at some of the more technical stuff. And then also when they're looking at junior golfers and you're looking at performance and training, uh, are you focusing more on just like developing sound movement patterns at that age and maybe loading it up a little bit, but taking, you know, taking into account that they're developing?
1: Like, so this guy, that kid I was talking about he was 15 years old. He didn't even really touch a weight till he was 15. So for f- his first year of training with me, all he used was a resistance band and body weight. Right. And, and I, I'm a real big, um, advocate on, we need to squat, lift, lunge, pull, press carry. And you need to do that in all different kinds of variations, no matter who you are, as well as a lot of, obviously for golf, we're looking for a lot of anti-rotation stuff. Um, I'm really trying to mobilize your ankle, hips, knees, shoulders. Those are the areas that we need mobile. So I would start with a junior golfer with just kind of making sure that they understand how to lunge in every direction they know how to do a hip hinging pattern and and maintain those angles throughout. They can squat, they can do single leg squats. And then we start to load them up once I uh, feel confident in that, but it's, yeah, no, we're not, we're not loading someone up or, or doing that from the start. I mean, I, I train golfers and I say that I'm a golf fitness trainer, but I'm building athletes and, and that's what I truly believe I'm doing. Right. And, and like I was saying, all the professional golfers now, I mean, they're right up there with professional athletes and other major sports that, 20 years ago, you wouldn't even put them in the same sentence. So yeah, I'm trying to build an athlete and I, and I really focus on those major movements. I focus on things like balance, agility, uh, when they're at a younger age and just really make sure that they kind of are as athletic as they can be.
0: I have two questions for you from, from that. And the, yeah. uh, the first is, uh, is there as big an encouragement, uh, you had talked about a lot of athletes in general, uh, being multi-sport athletes, which is true. Once they uh, sort of seem to get into golf, is there that encouragement in youth and junior athletics to maintain that multi-sport and have some degree of uh, a lighter or an off-season? We used to see in in athletics maybe 10 or 20 years ago, like you said, just play golf all year round or baseball, just throw the ball all year round. And we know that golf is such a a strenuous sport in terms of its repetition and rotation in one direction. Um, Is there that encouragement?
1: There is, but I would say like, I'm not going to tell somebody who plays golf to go play hockey too, right? Because then you're just hitting that repetition over and over and over again. So maybe if you can go play basketball or you can do something like rowing or something that's a little bit different, that would be kind of where I would try to focus someone's energy rather than have them do something that's so similar to golf and and swing a... Like, so I have a, a, another junior golfer who's a really high, highly competitive hockey player too. And so he can tell that... After the hockey season, he's almost ruined his golf swing because of how he's doing that. But he's also so tight. The one thing I've noticed uh, training golfers, too, is how broken they are at the end of the season. Right? Because they don't do the training or they don't listen to me. The amateurs do it or don't at least um, like the pros do who are training constantly. Another big thing that I'm huge on is is, is kind of doing opposite side swings, so whether that's just with um, a regular club or some of the uh, speed training I do with my clients, you can, you can swing both ways and I can swing in the club both ways, pretty close to the same speed now because I've trained it. Um, but a lot of the times golfers aren't thinking like that. And that's where a strength and conditioning coach or someone like me can definitely help out.
0: Do you find uh, when dealing with younger or junior athletes, Um, how much does like neurological maturity come into play? Because there is, you know, I've seen with other athletes, maybe between the ages of say 12 and, and 21 often there's some people just have a hard time figuring out their body, right? Especially if they're going through a growth spurt and golf is so technical. Um, do you try and tailor your training to, to, to offset that the best you can? Um, or, or how do you approach that?
1: Depending on, I mean, a good part of it is have they hit puberty yet, right? So if they haven't hit puberty yet, um, they're probably still pretty good with their body. But once they have that growth spurt, and I mean, that could obviously happen anywhere from 11 to 18, really, right? Um, Once they hit that growth spurt, that's going to definitely ruin their coordination or their neuromuscular abilities, right? So I'm a huge person in, I mean, kind of turning on the system. And I mean, we would do that kind of stuff with our dynamic warmups every single time. And I, I do a lot of reaction and, and balance stuff with my uh, younger athletes to make sure that they kind of maintain that athleticism and that reaction and that kind of neuromuscular connection. But that's definitely a problem. And a lot of the times you see golfers that when they have these big growth spurts and they and they lose their coordination, they lose their golf game a bit too for a while because they, they're they just not used to swinging the club like that or, or it's totally different for them. So that is definitely something that comes up a lot. And you just kind of, I mean, everyone's different. Right, like I don't, I don't know about you, but I hit my growth spurt when I was 12 years old. I haven't grown since I was 12. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's different, right? (laughs) I I can't
0: even remember back that far, to be honest. But uh, I, well, based on my height, I probably haven't grown much since like seven or eight.
1: (laughs) Come on, come on.
0: (laughs) So what about what about this this golf swing? I'd love for you to break down a little bit. For those people, I'm sure there are going to be people that are listening to this that are more kind of the recreational amateur golfer as well. And I'd love to talk about the golf swing in terms of how TPI might see the golf swing. Because when people are presenting, let's say, uh, to you in a fitness setting or me in a clinical setting, especially me that doesn't necessarily know the golf swing, I kind of break down the mechanics of what I think a golf swing should do. So how might you, through using your TPI assessment, look at some of these major players, the joints that we want to move or the segments of the body that we want to move based on the performance of golf swing?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I went and got certified with TPI. I mean, I basically TPI is the FMS screen for golf so great. I don't know. I mean, you all know who that is. I don't know if your listeners will, but Gray cook helped develop the TPI screen. And I was always a big advocate for FMS. I'm certified in FMS as well. So what they have done is there's,
0: so let's just, uh, for the listeners, let's just outline, uh, FMS is a a functional movement system that was developed by Gray cook and his team in the U S and what they focus on is looking at movement efficiency movement patterns so so to speak so it's something used in fitness that is used to screen movement let's just say for those of you that don't uh, that aren't familiar with it sort of cut you off there mark but you can go ahead into your thoughts
1: yeah. So like I will use kind of that screen as my first evaluation and what it's going to really show me. So there's 12 big swing characteristics that TPI kind of introduces to the professionals. And we're trying to look and see kind of what are the big things that pop out from the screen. So something a lot of people do is they go over the top or they can't shallow the golf club and kind of have the correct path to deliver the club to the ball. And if they do that, they probably have the wrong kinematic sequence. So a way that we could kind of begin to train that is we can kind of do some exercises that help to lead the hips first, then the body, then the arms and the hands. That's the correct kinematic sequence over the top would be the arms and hands lead first and the hips come after. And that's when you see these people on the driving range that are slicing the ball way right. But they do a great job at showcasing your movement deficiencies and relating it to the golf swing. Another cool thing that it does is it gives you a fitness handicap. So you get a handicap and that's what golfers play to when they golf is a handicap, but you get a fitness one. And if you know, if you've ever met any athlete, they're competitive and they see that handicap as a way that I need to improve that in order to be a better golfer. So it's almost a great selling feature for somebody who's like me as a coach is, Hey, you need to make sure you get that lower. If you want to increase uh, or if you want your other handicap to get better as well. But yeah, there's 12 major swing characteristics uh, that, uh, that are shown um, or talked about in TPI. And then we use, that screen to assess movement. And that would kind of usually be how I really plan your first phase of movement. So I'm going to pick whatever it is, the biggest, the biggest thing that pops out at me, um, I'm going to pick that and I'm going to focus on that the most. As you get a little bit better with that, then I go into something that's a little m- more taxing. I go into strength and power testing because strength and power is, is huge in golf. And I would do that depending on the person, either the first kind of month or the second or the second month, but I I'm pretty good now. I can tell right away. So in my first session with a client, I do a TPI screen, FMS screen. If I feel you're ready for it, I go into the strength and power assessments. If I don't, I teach you how to do those major movements. And that's what my first my first session is with everyone, no matter who you are. So we're gonna, I'm going to get a good, good information about how you move. And if I can tell right there you're not a good mover, I'm going to teach you how to move. If you are a good mover, I'm going to figure out kind of what your strengths and weaknesses are in terms of strength and power. And we'll program from there.
0: Can you just uh, outline again, you had mentioned the over the top and then you had said uh, what is ideal in terms of a swing and uh, you'd mentioned sort of hips and some other things. Can you just outline that again?
1: Yeah, of course. So it's called your kinematic sequence, right? So it's just pretty much how your body fires. So when you take the club back, so pretend we're in a golf stance, my club comes with my hands, my hips are um, rotating at the same time. Once I get to the top of my backswing, that's where it really matters. So when I'm at the top of the backswing and my hands are kind of behind my head, my hips should be the first thing moving. That should be leading the motion as then it kind of just comes up the, um, up the chain. So then my kind of core or torso comes with it, my shoulders, and then my arms finish. When you look at a good golfer, if you look at them, when they're at impact at the ball, you can see both bum cheeks because their hips are completely turned and they are, they are bringing the club shallow through the path. If someone comes over the top, Their hips aren't the first things that move. It's usually their hands or their shoulders. And then that actually brings the club over the top means over the the center line. And then we actually come across the path. And that's what causes the the ball to go from like left to right or right to left, depending on what hand golfer you are. So
0: that uh, hook or slice is based on the fact that that sequence is essentially reverse starting kind of at the hands, shoulders, torso, hips, would you say, is that accurate?
1: That's probably, that's one of the main reasons. And then the second reason would be you just can't square the face. So maybe your face is open or your face is closed and that's more of a tactical part though. Right. So that would be where I would say you need to go see a golf coach. Right? right. And I, and I know my lane and I know, and I know you, you think of this too as well. Right. And like, I know people, I'm not going to assess injury. I'm not going to try to teach you how to swing the golf club or be, or be a golf professional. I mean, I'm going to help you get better in the gym and I know professionals that I can, I mean, obviously seek out if I need that help. Right.
0: Right. So if you see, do you, uh, do you watch somebody swing a club or no?
1: Yep. Totally.
0: So if if you see them swinging and you see that, that they've got that reversed kinematic sequence where they're coming from the top down, you feel confident that you can kind of correct that with some performance stuff or do they?
1: A lot of the time it's, it's a muscle imbalance or it's, um, a muscle's limited, a muscle's not firing properly. So I would do a lot of like activation exercises, strengthening exercises, to really just get them to understand what their body does. Then we would do drills that focuses on that kinematic sequence, right? And people think like, so that's all you're doing is golf swing drills all the time. That might be what we do in the warm up. And then we're gonna kind of implement some harder exercises into that to really get that feeling. But yeah, definitely. No, I I'm that's something I definitely would work on with a golfer is kind of getting them in the right positions of the swing. But when it comes to actually putting a club in their hand and them hitting balls, that's kind of when I would give that to the golf professional.
0: In terms of cleaning up that sequence, where do you find that people are most at fault? Is it, do you find that people have a, a tough time developing power through the hips first in rotation? Do you think it's more Of a trunk issue and we'll get more into the specifics as we go but do you see one big smoking gun usually
1: yeah most people have a posterior tilt in their hips so most people have like very inactive glutes and that obviously is not going to help with extending the hip or rotating the hip so that would be an area that i start so i have three levels of hip mobility and t-spine mobility that pretty much everybody does just because that's going to be your kind of like daily movements that i get you to do And it goes and it does wonders. And I've seen people that they're like, I didn't even realize that my, my glutes weren't firing until I actually started to lay down and try to kick my heel up the sky or something like that. Right. But it's definitely the hips. There's something going on in the hips or someone has upper cross syndrome. Right. So, or someone sits at a desk all day and they have a a crazy C curvature in their spine and they can't actually get into a proper posture. So that's going to affect if you can actually deliver the club the right way as well. So little things like posture and mobility and stability throughout the body, like that goes farther than a lot of the times is strength and power, to be honest, because that's what most people need. Most people aren't ready for strength and power until a few months after working with me, to be honest.
0: So we would define mobility as sort of, we could also define it as I guess, passive range of motion. And then we could define motor control as the ability to use that available passive range of motion. So you would start by trying to look at those areas of the body that you you want to have moving in a golf swing. So for me, if I think about it and you tell me if if I'm sort of along the right lines, I would think ankles, hips, mid back, mostly.
1: Shoulders and wrists too. Don't forget about the wrists. Everyone forgets about the wrists. The wrists play a huge part in the golf swing. A lot of people cup their wrists or they overpronate their wrists. And that definitely causes issues in the golf swing. A lot of people can't actually hinge the wrist. That's going to, that's going to change how you swing the club, right? The other part of this is I give this information to the golf coach. So I can tell a golf coach, this is your limitation. And that golf coach can build a swing around that limitation.
0: Right. Cause pronation is part of the end of a golf swing, correct? Pronation of the wrists. Right. So so you need to kind of pronate the wrist over, I guess.
1: You want to pronate. So, so someone like Dustin Johnson is a huge pronator and that's what that does is it keeps the club face actually shot longer. And a lot of the times that eliminates one side of the fairway. So it's actually something that's changed in golf over a long time. A lot of people used to be very neutral with their wrists. And now that you're seeing a shift to a lot of people that are more pronated with their wrists when they are um, hitting the golf ball. And it's, it's, it's changed kind of the game a little bit.
0: Do you have drills in your training that help sort of facilitate pronation? And what, like, is it just taking the arm from supination to pronation in a drill? Or do you have anything specific that you're doing in terms of like wrist mobility?
1: Totally. So I do a lot of stuff where you like would put your hands together and press as well as like moving your hands at the exact same time in like a prayer position. You can push your fingers together. You can pull your hands apart, try to pull your hands apart while moving your arms at the same time a lot of the stuff that is gonna kind of strengthen the joints and ligaments around your wrist if someone has a severe wrist problem, and I see this a lot more in like the older golfers, like 50, 60 year old golfers, we're gonna do things like you said, like we're gonna do uh, supination drills, uh, pronation drills. I'm gonna actually have them hold a band and strengthen the uh, forearm flexors and extensors. I mean, and I'm gonna try pretty much anything, right? But that's something, that's definitely an area that a lot of people, let's say, just don't even think about, right? Cause it's not the sexy area like your hips or, or your T spine there. That's what everyone wants to work on, right? And the other one is your ankles. I mean, you've done enough. Assessments with people to understand that I would say 90% of the people I work with have some kind of limitation through their calves or through their ankle, and they can't do an overhead squat without their feet, I mean, on something, right? Their heels on something. So that's definitely an area I work on a lot as well. And um, I would say, that we do a ton of, I would say, tell people to do a ton of foam rolling in that area to circulate that area, as well as go into all different types of deep squat patterns, um, pedaling out and dog and like downward dog with along with kind of static stretching to help those areas. And that does wonders for people as well. Like I think a lot of the times you got athletes and people that are thinking like, I need this magic fix, but a lot of the time it's this, it's the basics that does the biggest, that, that has the biggest impact.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I would agree with that. A lot of the time there isn't really a, uh a magic fix. A lot of it has to do with just time and and putting in consistent effort into improving some of these these patterns. I know we've talked a little bit about rotation in a golf swing because it is essentially just that, a coupled rotation of the body to try and develop power under a under a very specific mechanism. And probably would be considered to be the foundation of a golf swing. If we could dive into that a little bit further and and discuss what you see in terms of a golf swing What are the foundations for you for developing good rotation? Uh, And I think you've touched on some of them, but not only the ability to move in rotation, but the ability to develop power in rotation while maintaining this technicality.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, power, I mean, the biggest thing with power is you need to be coordinated. And I think that's an undervalued thing as well. People want to try to do all these olympic lifts or even medicine ball throws or whatever and if they're not coordinated enough to do it it's not really doing what they're trying to uh, get out of it but i mean for power i always start i always say if you can't resist rotation you can't rotate so i do a ton of payoff presses i would start with that before really getting them into powerful movements i would even start with rotation through like strength so doing stuff like chops and lifts Um, with resistance bands and make sure that they can really control their body and stabilize their lower body and rotate around their upper body and vice versa before I really went into powerful stuff. But in terms of powerful stuff, and I mean, I'm going to, I love medicine balls and throwing medicine balls around. I love Olympic lifting. I love um, plyometrics. As long as we're doing all this stuff for very minimal reps and and we're really doing it explosively and, and taking the rest required, that's the type of stuff that I use for power and to generate that. But we need to be able to crawl before we can walk and before we can run. So I would always start with resist rotation, strength, and then going into power.
0: Yeah, so that's a a good point. So you start with anti rotation first. And for the people that are listening that might not be familiar with that term, anti rotation refers to the ability to resist rotational movement. So for example, if you are a a football player, and you're carrying a football, you're running back, and you're running through a scrum, and somebody hits you on the shoulder. Anti rotation is for you, your ability for your trunk to maintain a straight path of movement, as opposed to that person hits you on the shoulder and you rotate to the left and drop the ball. That's what we're talking about when we talk about anti rotation. Probably one of the most popular exercises of anti rotation would be something like a plank or a side plank, which is just maintaining a static position. So, there's some thought on core stability and just how the core creates power. But what Mark's saying is, before we start to look at elements of power, we should look at our ability to maintain sort of a stable environment through the trunk, and then maybe move around that, move the limbs, the arms, and the, and the legs around that. Is that accurate, Mark?
1: That is very accurate. That's exactly what you want to do. I mean, you brought a great up point about uh, the different plank variations. I mean, I do a lot of stuff with anti-extension, anti-flexion through the hips as well, as well as a lot of side bending exercises for golf, because we're always in tilt in, when you're in your setup with golf. So you need to be able to effectively side bend and still maintain your lower body and don't let it kind of come with you. So yeah, rotation, side bending, extension, flexion, always trying to kind of make sure that we can stay, be stable in those positions. And then bring your, like you said, the limbs into it, and actually move and maintain that stability while we're moving. Then we add in the other layer and, and coordination, and power, and explosiveness, and speed, and all that. But it's it's a marathon, on a sprint, and that's that's probably one of the things I say to my clients the most. I mean, if you're looking for a quick fix, you came to the wrong person. Let's 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 kind of think of this as a big picture and and create a plan, and and we'll get there, right? Uh, and that's the safest and and most sustainable way to do it.
0: Yeah, good point. So we want to maintain. That core stability we want to uh, then learn how to move our mid back and our hips around that stable trunk especially through the low back i think that a lot of people will move more than they should through the low back and there's an interesting thing that i see that a lot of people that have low back pain actually do well with so if for example you're suffering from low back pain and you're listening you might find this yourself when you have low back pain, and a lot of people will ask me, "Well, should I go golf today?" I always say yes because it encourages this movement along sort of this the frontal plane of motion that it, a lot of people don't get anywhere else in their life. So when they start to, <laughs> it, and it might not be perfect, but when they start to move their hips in that way, often after a round of golf, their low back pain has gone. And I think it's because you're encouraging those patterns of movement through the hips and through the mid back. Now, can that certainly go the other way? For sure. And that's not always something that we would encourage. We would see how the person responded. But what are your thoughts on just encouraging movement through the mid-back and through the hips in a way that we we don't really do it any other way th- that I can think of that's similar to a golf swing?
1: No, I think that's great. And I'm a huge advocate of 3D motion and, and training through all planes of motion. And I think that's probably the biggest pitfall i see with new trainers coming into the industry is they live in the sagittal plane and especially for a golfer i mean you want to be able to rotate and and move side to side more than you want to move forward and back so i i would 100 percent agree with that i'm also the type of person that says you should move every single day and i i'm not like let's work out only two or three times a week and and even if you do have pain, I mean, you still want to mobilize those areas and get blood flowing to those areas and circulate those areas. I mean, I don't think unless it's obviously a severe injury, um, you should ever just be laid up in terms of, do I see a lot of lower back pain in golfers? A hundred percent. And the reason I do, I think is because a lot of them have S posture. So if you have S posture, you have, let's say an excessive lumbar um, curvature because you have an anterior tilt in your pelvis. And that could be what's causing the, ba- the pain because you're trying to swing around that. And one of the things when I started to work with a golf coach, I realized is, I actually had a little bit of S posture. So I actually had a little bit of excessive curvature in my back and I didn't really notice it when I was swinging the club before until I had someone watch me. And that's why I would also say, you should always have a coach, even if you are a coach. I realized I had to kind of posteriorly move my hips a little bit. Um, and to be honest, I didn't even get sore anymore after his hitting golf balls. And it was something I had to learn because I was a little bit in the wrong position. Um, and this was a few years ago, but yeah, no, low back pain is definitely a problem. And you need to move those areas uh, as much as you can in order to kind of eliminate that and reduce the, the risk of injuring those areas for sure. And that's why hip health back health, like mid back health is so important in golf, because usually if your low back is hurting, it's usually because something's happening above or below it. And I think you would agree with that, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now that S posture, do you think the thing that's perpetuating that S posture is the in golf uh, in, in sort of recreational golf circles where someone will sort of say like hips back in the golf swing, but by, but by drawing the hips back, you can often not allow the mid back to come with it and therefore the mid back is in and, and ultimately the low back becomes more extended relative to the pelvis in the golf swing. So really having that ability to like stack from the hips in that straight line all the way to the ears, is that something that's often
1: discussed? That's discussed and that's something that I mean, I think anybody who's a golfer amateur or pro um, should be where you should start you need to be able to get in the proper posture it's you know, it's going to be the safest way to swing the club it's going to be able it's going to make you be able to play the game longer because if you are in these improper positions you're going to hurt yourself eventually but yes no that's definitely what we want we want from pretty much our ears to our hips a straight line we don't want a lot of excessive curvature at, from like our mid back up that would be more of a C posture but we also don't want the s posture which has kind of the opposite effect where at the bottom where we're more curved
0: we've touched on kind of anti-rotation stiffness. We've touched on a little bit of power. What are your thoughts on, and I've started to look at this more in core stability, and I'm sure by this point, I've probably talked about it on a few podcasts as well. But one of the, the things that I see as most important is, for example, there's a discussion around core stability and what the core is. And if I am dealing with somebody that let's say is in pain, I would Mm -hmm. approach core stability a little bit more differently. I think that if I was looking at a core stability for performance and I think that when I see people in pain, one of the things that I, you know, we can have arguments back and forth, not necessarily you and I, but the field of rehab in general talks about the core turning on or turning off. And I don't really think it necessarily works like that, but I think Mm -hmm. that one of the things that people that are in pain a lot don't do well is disassociate in the body so they don't disassociate the limbs from the trunk and I had seen a post the other day by Eric Cressy who I'm sure you know who's a very well known strength coach that deals with athletes in the U.S. predominantly throwers baseball right
1: yeah (laughs) he
0: was saying uh something to the to the effect he said two really important things that I think aren't discussed as much he said There are times where disassociation is important. There are times where disassociation is not important. There are times where asymmetry matters, but there are also times where asymmetry does not matter. And I wonder if you could speak to both because disassociation is really important in golf. And then you have this element of asymmetry because asymmetry being you're rotating in one direction all the time. And if you could just speak to that, I'd love to know your thoughts.
1: Well, disassociation is coming back to that kinematic sequence right? If you can't disassociate, you're not going to be able to drive your hips first and kind of let everything else come with it. So that would go back to, yes, we're going to be working on disassociation, but with someone like me, I'm going to be working with you in that in a gym sense. It's not a sense of, I want you to be able to disassociate in your golf swing. So I'm going to be working with that pattern in in multi-directions. And and that's where I differentiate from, let's say a golf coach saying, you need to, you need to have that X factor. You need to be able to separate in terms of an asymmetry. I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to change somebody. And that's something that I really have to think about is if I change your body drastically, it might ruin your golf game. And, and, and this has happened and and not fortunately, not with me yet. um, But I know some other people that train who, who've actually made people worse. And so we got to think about that, right? Like. Yes, I want to make sure that there's not a lot of imbalances or that we are symmetrical as we can be. But I also understand that this is a a sport where we swing one direction and you're going to be a little tighter on that side, or you're going to be stronger on that side. The thing is, we want to try to make sure that it's not too much of a difference, right? And we can do that with all kinds of different testing, as well as I do a ton of unilateral work. You pretty much, if you're going to do any kind of training with me, it's going to be with one arm or one leg 90% of the time right? Instead of having somebody do a lot of bilateral work or two hands or two legs where they cheat or they really go on that one side. And that's really how I, I try to kind of attack that. I understand it's never going to be perfect because like you said, it doesn't matter if I do 10 sets of single leg squats um, and they go hit a thousand golf balls that week. Is my 10 sets really going to make that much of a difference? It's going to help, but it's not going to change it. Right? So that's a great point that you're going to have um, both of those issues, but when do you really kind of step in and make that your priority, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's a a great point because asymmetry, as Cressy said, can be advantageous. And I think it has to be in the golf swing when you think about it. Or if you think about things like, you know, a lot of people have come to me over the years that are sprinters, for example, and they've got decreased ankle mobility and they've got quite a bit of tone in their hamstring and their Achilles and their calf but a lot of time that's their spring mechanism to develop power over a short distance. So if you don't understand the demands of the sport and the demands of the person that are sitting in front of you and recognize that, like you said, there's no point in chasing the asymmetry because it's always going to exist. And further to that, it might actually be what is creating the athlete that's in front of you. Then you just, from a training perspective, like you said, you do a lot of things that sort of force the body to work one side versus the other, and there'll be some carryover and there'll be some strength development, but it won't ruin that asymmetry that we think is so advantageous. I think so many people get focused on the fact that both shoulders need to have the exact same range of motion. Your thoracic rotation has to be the same right and left and not enough thought goes into, look, is this what's creating an advantage? And further to that, and I'll speak to pain we have a really hard time concluding that symmetry would decrease the ability to have pain or not. We can't say it's a predicting pattern of pain. So I think you're right, like to some degree we address it as as much as we can, but then also understand that it's part of their sport.
1: Exactly. And I'll tell you right now the number 2 player in the world, John Rom, he has one of the shortest swings you'll ever see because he has so many limitations. And they've decided that this is the most effective way that he can swing the club. And they're not going to try to fix those limitations and ruin the way he plays golf. Cause he's making millions and millions of dollars a year. Right. So it's like, when is the time to do that? Who are you going to do it with? I think it depends on the level, the age, like if someone's just coming into the sport and you really want to focus on something like that. Sure. But if someone's a pro athlete or someone who's been doing this forever, do you really want to break or change the way they move? I mean, drastically and they won't be able to do their sport. No. So yeah, it's a it's a fine line for sure.
0: Well, and further do do they even care, right? Are they just a recreational athlete? What about and I don't know if you use this in any of your training as well, because golf, we've talked about disassociation, we've talked about mobility, we've talked about power, we've talked about how it's so important that you develop force and rotation. Yeah. What about stuff like stillness? The idea that especially with the cervical spine and the head and the eyes, there's such an element of stillness that has to happen when you're keeping your eye on the ball. Do you have ways to help train that or coach that?
1: Well, I mean, I think in terms of stillness, I think that's going to be more of a um, kind of like how your mind is, to be honest. I don't think that's going to be as much of me training you physically. And, And I'm definitely somebody who promotes meditation and mindfulness and deep breathing and visualization. And that's a big part of golf in itself as well. Right. So a lot of the times I think that would be kind of how I tackle that in terms of just maintaining kind of don't being too excited or don't being kind of, I mean, jumpy, but all of these other exercises are going to help with posture and stability that going to go into that as well. Like we've talked a ton about, I mean, we need core stability and we need to be able to do this and that. But I mean, as long as you're lifting, lunging, pulling, and pressing with your compound movements, you should have all that. Anyways, you shouldn't have to do a ton of whatever exercises you need to do to really strengthen and stabilize that area. So yeah, I would, I would really just all the major movements would what I think help to stabilize the body in those positions, but really getting their mind to, to just be free and doing things like deep breathing and meditation is something that I'm definitely an advocate for as well.
0: Do you think there's a carryover in training or specificity in training pertaining to a particular type of stroke? So putting versus chipping versus driving, or do you think a lot of just, again, going back to these prime movements there's carry over there because those swings are a little bit different, right. In terms of power development.
1: They're all different. Every one of them's different. I would definitely say that you want to have softer hands. So, I mean, grip strength is a big thing as well, right? I mean, if you don't have a good grip, you're the way you hold the club, the way you feel the club is going to be different. So people think, Oh, I don't want to have a very strong grip because then I'm not gonna be able to have soft hands and hold the club. But I think it's the exact opposite. Um, so I would do things in terms of like carries and deadlifts to kind of work on that. But yeah, I mean, you, you don't need power in chipping and putting and you just need to have a stable base and have soft hands and be able to kind of deliver the club. When we get into our, our bigger clubs, like uh, let's say maybe a, I don't know, five iron up where you're actually putting some, some generating some speed behind that club, then the more powerful effect uh, hitters are more effective. And that's why the gym has become so popular because if I can hit the ball 350 yards and you can only hit it 300, I'm hitting a pitching wedge in and you're hitting a five iron in there's a good chance I'm going to be closer going for birdie. Right. But I mean, it all comes back to, do I have a stable lower body and can I rotate around that, around that lower body effectively?
0: Do you think that varying or would you vary like speed of movement to try and mimic some of those things? So do you do like slow rotational drills, medium speed, high speed to mimic sort of how that would carry over into those, those lower lower clubs versus higher clubs?
1: Definitely. Well, I, I'm definitely a big, I love speed training as well. So I use the super speed training clubs in my training. So there's three different clubs with three different weights. One of them's lighter than your driver. One of them's about the same size as your driver. And one of them's heavier than your driver. So I would do that as some of my power training and speed training in my training with my athletes. um, So they do get that kind of effect in terms of like working on speed with like chipping and, and putting and, and even just wedges or anything. That's something I would lead to the golf coach.
0: So you're, they're actually going through their golf swing in your session with a
1: hundred percent. But the difference is I'm trying to get them to swing out of their shoes. So I don't really care as much about sequence when we're doing that stuff. I'm just trying to kind of take off the governor and let you kind of see what your body's capable of, to be honest. And, and then hopefully when you go back to your regular swing, you swing easy is a couple miles an hour faster, right? Over time.
0: How do you prescribe that? Do you do uh, low rep? Do you do it for time? Are you looking at speed endurance?
1: It's all low rep. Uh, Anything I'm doing explosively or for power is under five reps. Usually three to five reps is what I do for anything power, depending on the person and their ability. If I'm using anything endurance, we're going to be, that's going to be a kind of the end of the session, or I'm going to be doing that stuff earlier in the year. Uh, But when we're in kind of getting closer to the season, or even when we're not in the season, anything I do with power is going to be very, very low reps.
0: Yeah. And I think that's important that sometimes we forget that true power training is very, very low repetition with higher rest times. And when we look at things that have developed in a variety of sports, we're now running into problems where people are forcing themselves to do power-based movements over high repetition ranges. And we're seeing increase in injury because of that and trying to do, say, like a deadlift 100 times or even when we're looking at strength that are typically in lower rep ranges. Well, now we're running into problems with injuries
1: hundred percent. And I've, I mean, I've never really liked certain things because of that, but yeah, no, I'm, I definitely would not go very far off the the low reps with power or, I mean, even with strength, I feel like a lot of people are doing endurance kind of rep ranges when they're trying to train strength and they're not really pushing the strength kind of threshold like they should be.
0: Yeah, exactly. We have to keep in mind, like how much of your perceived one rep max you're lifting.
1: Yeah, and what are you really training for? And a lot of people, they're just like, oh, I saw this, so I need to do 10 reps of this or eight reps or whatever it might be. But like, why are you doing that? And, and what is that relative to your ability, right? And that's where I think that's where strength coaches and, and people like you or even are even are so valuable, right? Like, cause it's just like, just knowledge and educating somebody about something they might not even know. I mean, back a few, a few years ago, when I worked with you for a while, when I had an injury, I mean, I learned so much from you. Right. And I mean, like anybody could go into that. Right. And it's people think like, oh, I'm going to get a strength coach or I'm going to work with somebody who, who, I mean, in your position and they're like, I got to work with them for the rest of my life. Even just doing little phases with people like you and I, I think goes a long way and it can really point people in the right direction and save injuries, save time and frustration in the gym or, or whatever your sport is.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. If people just understood sort of what the basic uh, goals were with, say, strength training, whether you were dealing with trying to train for strength or endurance or muscle hypertrophy or growth or power Mm -hmm. or just mobility and general movement, I think that that would go a long way. And I wish there was a way that that could be rolled out to people a little bit more. But there's so much noise in the fitness industry with social media that often the people that are you know, discussing these things are buried by quick fixes and 30 day body transformations and stuff like that. So, you know, that's probably, that's probably for another podcast. Yeah.
1: We could talk for another hour about that.
0: (laughs) What do you, do you do anything specifically when you're training with vision, like fixating on targets, um, when you're going through any of these patterns, um, because obviously the eyes are playing a role in fixating on the ball and then the trunks having to move independently of that or, or not really.
1: I, like I said, more like I, I would really say you should think about visualization. I know a lot of pros do visualization, um, but in terms of vision and like balance, um, I definitely do drills where my athletes close their eyes. So one thing that I do all the time with with athletes because one of the TPI um, tests is single leg balance, right? And one of the another cool things about the TPI is it actually compares you to all the pros. So they have normative data for all the pros, and it kind of puts you in line with where they are. But one of the, I mean, a great drill that I do for balance where we really challenge your eyes is one leg, pass something over your head with your eyes closed. That's obviously taking away that. But the other part is pass something over your head and watch the ball. And that's going to, that's obviously... It increases your your center of mass by putting your hands over your head. It's going to challenge your vision by closing your eyes. And it's actually going to challenge your vestibular system by trying to move with it as well at the same time. But in terms of like looking at things other than that, I mean, that's probably as far as I go.
0: Yeah, just be interested. I do a lot of or vision-based exercises, not necessarily vision-based, but I'll say, you know, look at this target and then move around it just to... You're right in that when pe- some people rely more on their visual system than others and you recognize that by them closing their eyes and then they lose their balance immediately and the brain and vision will act in a different way whereas you can do something like you suggested where you close your eyes and move around it or you could just look at something and then move around it and all those offer different stimuluses into the brain and i i think would just challenge the
1: person a little bit more I've, i've never tried that that's a good idea though Maybe I'm going to have to steal some notes off you for this.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just thinking, like, if you're going through some of these unilateral patterns and you have three or four targets set up on the wall, I mean, there was some stuff done on... Um, like, I'm sure... Do you use, like, any of the light systems for agility? No, but I know what you mean. I
1: have. Yeah, no, I have. I know exactly what you mean. Those are great. Those are yeah. great for reaction. I actually, like... another thing I do is I'll throw like, so do like single leg drills where I throw stuff at you, right? Like, so I'm throwing like a tennis ball at you or something and you got to follow the ball. That's another thing I would do with vision a little bit, but no, I've never done anything with those targets, like on a wall or anything and trying to do like a single leg squat or something and look at a a target. That's a good idea.
0: Yeah. And then uh, like giving them like an audible cue. So if you had like five or six targets and one was like, one was a letter, one was a number, one was a symbol. You could just audibly say one, five X, and then they could. It also brings a little bit of noise to the drill and it would help with the sort of quieting mind piece. I've, I've started to use it a lot and it's been pretty helpful um, in my setting.
1: Cool. No, I like that. I will definitely try that. I like to do a lot of that stuff like as part of your warm up, right? Is we're just kind of firing the body up and, and getting ready to go. So um, I'm going to try that. I'm definitely going to try that.
0: What about for the the recreational golfers out there? What are your, what's some advice on... Because golf is one of those things where a lot of people play it. It's so popular and recreational golfers want to become better all of the time. And I -hmm. I know people that play other recreational sports, but it seems to me that golf is a little bit different where people are so obsessed with their score and, and improving. Could you offer the recreational golfer two to three generalized tips on maybe it's a way to improve their performance, or maybe it's a way to get more out of their swing for those people that are listening. What are your thoughts on that? It doesn't have to be super specific, but if you are to offer two or three big pieces of advice to people,
1: uh, number one is warm up. I mean, I think the recreational ge- golfer does not warm up. I would say 95% of the recreational golfer comes to the golf course and puts the ball five times. It goes to the first tee. Uh, maybe a couple of them hit balls, like hit a few wedges and then they go, Um, I actually provide every single person that works with me uh, like a 15, 20 minute warm-up that they do at home. Then they go to the golf course and then there's another few exercises they can do before they start to hit balls at the golf course as well. I've actually had feedback from some of my guys that say they're hitting the ball 10, 15 yards farther after they warmed up compared to the other days. They've done the same thing and and seen their numbers. Um, So right away off the top, warm up. The second thing would be drink water. I feel like so many golfers don't drink water and they drink alcohol or they're drinking or they're eating crap. They're eating like sugary foods and um, stuff that's really not giving them energy. And by, by the time they're on the back nine, they're, they have no energy and they fall apart for the last five bowls. So warming up, making sure that your nutrition is right on the course. So water, make sure you're eating well on the course. Uh, that's going to go farther than you going to the course for two hours before and hitting balls.
0: Yeah, I had one and mine was warm up.
1: Yeah, for so sure. Oh, 100%. I, that's it.
0: <laughs> I think that yeah, if you can get a 15 to 20 minute warm up in and then hit balls versus hitting balls for 3 or 4 hours before or spending all yeah. this time on the range and thinking that that's warming you up, I would agree with that. I think warm up is is you're right. It's probably not used nearly enough in recreational golf and I would mm-hmm. also agree and this obviously depends on why people are out to golf, you know, if you're going to be having drinks, maybe wait until at least, you know, maybe wait until like the back nine. Before. Yeah.
1: But like, it's a lot of recreational golfers need to decide where, where are you going? Right. I want to do so good, but I also want to drink six beers while I golf, or I want to do so good, but I don't, I don't care enough to go early and make sure that I'm ready to play. Right. The biggest thing about warm-up it's, these golfers go there and they're swinging two clubs now, which is so archaic to swing two clubs and swing something heavier before you swing something lighter, and like that's their warm up, right? They're they're not activating any of the tissue that they're about to use in the swing. So their first three or four holes is their warm up. So they actually have three or four terrible holes to start their round, and now they're in their own head as well as they're already behind the eight ball. So it's just setting yourself up for success, right? It's like any exercise I teach somebody, the most important part of exercise is setup right if you're not in the proper setup you can't do the exercise right if you don't go to the golf course in the right mindset and and your body ready to go how are you going to how are you going to shoot your best score
0: yeah i would think for any recreational sport yeah of course war- warming up would be just key just getting getting movement in some degree for 10 or 15 minutes and gradually even just taking the cardiovascular system up slow like don't go from 0 to 100 i i know from an injury perspective you're going to definitely increase an opportunity for an injury to carry out. And then in terms of the water thing or just nutrition in general, we know that injuries happen at at times of fatigue as well. So if you're not addressing that.
1: Oh, totally. And I mean, the warm-up is, it's so important. Like, I mean, I, it's funny, you, you see all these people that like I golf with, obviously a bunch of people that don't care as much as well. And like, it's funny, a bunch of my buddies have just spent thousands and thousands of dollars on golf clubs in the last couple months, buying new sets and all this. And, and then I'm in their head saying, if you guys would just move around a bit and warm up before you, go to the golf course, it would uh, do a lot more than a brand new TaylorMade made SIM driver you just bought. Right. Like, um, but it's lost, right? Cause it's not like the appealing thing to do. The appealing thing is to make sure I look good and make sure I have these shiny clubs and get there. It's not like the hard work and the grunt work that, that make these professional golfers good. I feel like a lot of amateur golfers aren't willing to do.
0: Yeah, and they probably don't see it. I mean, no, maybe, yeah. maybe you know, doing jumping jacks on the tee box might not be the, <laughs> the most attractive no, thing, no. but... <laughs> it'll probably do more for you than the tailor-made driver
1: yeah and like i have like like i said i have a pre-round and a post-round program that i give to my golfers to do before and after because i know that that's the other part is people don't want to be that guy on the first tee doing stretches they don't want to be that guy in the driving range because they're embarrassed or they think their friends are going to make fun of them right so i always say do it before you go and then obviously move around a bit but even just doing it before i mean goes so far so many people are so hooked on golf too. They like, so if they, they have to golf at seven, eight, 8 AM in the morning, they're up at four in the morning. Cause they're so excited. I'm not even joking. And <laughs> so I say too, like, maybe you want to do this warm up two or three times to kind of waste some time and to kind of kick away a little bit more of that morning. So that when you do go to the course, you're not just exhausted from sitting around for four hours, but it's yeah, no golf's great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well- <laughs> Well, and the other thing is, is like, if you're doing your warm up and you're, you're getting better at your game, people start to ask you why people in golf are always like, what are you doing? Cause they oh, want to know the secret. Right. Yeah. So if you're saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to warm up more and it's, it's got carry over into my game. I guarantee then you're not going to look silly because people are going to be interested in what you're doing. I see it in every single recreational sport. So yeah. there's not going to be any negative consequence to warming up. So, uh, Mark, if people uh, want to, because I know you're doing some online training as well Mm -hmm. now. Also, if people want to find more about what you're doing with golf and performance, if you could tell the audience where where they can find you in terms of website and social media and such.
1: Yeah. So my company is called CSC. So the website's called CSCGolfFitness.ca. I have a website on there. I have different membership options. I am almost out of memberships. I am almost kind of full with my time. But there is still some ways that you could work with me if you are looking to work with me. I also sell some programs on there. And then I am in all, I'm on all the social media platforms. My kind of goal for 2021 is I'm going to try to grow YouTube as much as I can. So if you're interested in seeing some of the kind of things that I do with people uh, or some of the workouts that I would do, I'm actually going to film kind of what I do in the gym a couple of times a a month at least, and just put it up there for workouts for if people want to follow along or, or see what the, see what a golf specific type workout would look like is or would be. So you can find me on YouTube with that. I've also started a kind of community page on Facebook and LinkedIn called Golf Fitness Tips. And this is meant to be just a place where we can share articles, exercises, maybe what's going on in the PGA Tour in terms of fitness or, or anything like that. So what I'm trying to do with that is just build a real big community of, of people who are interested in golf and, and fitness and bettering their body to better their game. But it's it's all CSC uh, or CSC Golf Fitness for social media. Uh, and then the Golf Fitness Tips would be they're just open pages on Facebook and LinkedIn.
0: Perfect. And yeah, for those people that are listening, definitely check out uh, some of Mark's stuff. He offers a lot of free content online on on Instagram and and YouTube and Facebook. And they're really specific exercises and and drills that uh, have great carryover into, into the golf game. With that, I hope that everybody has enjoyed today's episode. I know that I've learned a lot. If you have any questions or comments for Mark or myself, feel free to leave them in the comments below. As always, we hope that uh, you found this episode to be a value to you. Uh, enjoy your weekend, folks, and we will see you in the next one.